0: Oh baby, I'm well caffeinated. Really well caffeinated for this. Not quite Macho Man Randy Savage caffeinated, but I am pretty fucking caffeinated. I went to decaf, half calf two days ago, full decaf yesterday, and I was like, today I got a lot. I got to do ads. I got a fit for service meeting. I got my heaviest lift of the week. Let me ramp it back up a notch. So I went with full calf, and I'm on my second cup, and it feels good. It feels actually feels. It feels good, not jittery. Like if you come off for too long, the first cup back, you're kind of like, oh, fuck. I remember <laughs> I came off thirty all caffeine for 35 days the last time my wife and I drank ayahuasca. And uh, we were out at Sultara, fantastic journey. And the first time I had decaf, I thought I was going to fucking lose my mind. It was like, oh, shit. All right, slow down the breathing. I started going to, to the Huberman vagal <laughs> breathing system. I was like in through the nose, exhale as slowly as possible, at least get a two-to-one ratio there if I can get a three-to-one ratio. Anywho, um not feeling that. So it's been good. I like the, uh, the cycling. I've learned that from Ben Greenfield. Every now and then it's good to cycle off or down and then cycle back on. That way the coffee still works for you when you do have it. And uh, it's been nice going to less caffeine when I don't have shit going on. I usually leave my Mondays, Wednesdays, and Fridays. I have a couple things in the morning, and that's it. I leave those days fairly open, so I always have availability for podcast guests and other things. And uh, sometimes that's family time. Sometimes that's me time. Sometimes that's worky work time. But I don't need a ton of shit on those days. So ramping down for those days, gearing back up Tuesdays and Thursdays has been Awesome. I have today the return of uncle dr nathan riley that 's how he's known in the house uh, dr Nathan riley, the holistic o b g y n has been on a tear and you know it's it's really cool to see anybody that has a as a as an m d who stick their head out and um call some of the the shenanigans that are happening in their form of the business because it happens in all business i mean you could be a, a banker and call shit out you could be uh, in the NBA, as an NBA referee and call shit out. That's happened before. You'd be in any in any form of business and you could say, hey, this is some of the fuckery that takes place. Um, this is what I'm doing to combat that. This is how I do things differently. And um, it doesn't require just going against the COVID narrative. He certainly has. I think anybody who, lo- who knows holistic medicine or studied Rudolf Steiner, understands the body differently than our current practices of medicine. Um, And he's done that, but he's done that as well from an OBGYN standpoint, from a women's healthcare standpoint, from pregnancy and child delivery as a ceremony, not as um, a procedure. I don't know why I blanked on that. It is a ceremony. It's not a procedure. It shouldn't be a procedure. And even in the case of it being C-section requiring medical attention, still holding that it is a ceremony, And not a procedure. It's very important. Um, he's doing that and he's doing it very well. He, he is in many ways like a young Zach Bush. He works in hospice care as well. He has a fantastic podcast with our good buddy, Charles Eisenstein, uh, where he talked about delivering a baby and helping someone transition into the next place all in the same 24 hour cycle. And it is fucking tear dropping good. Um, I love this guy. Anytime he comes to town, he stays in my house. Uh, he's become a very close friend. Uh, I met him a year ago at Paul Checks for his 60th birthday, and we got to drop in together and go pretty damn deep. Um, And that was a a very unifying experience. But um, Nathan is doing incredible stuff in the world. And I just love his perspective because he's always learning. You know, like Thomas Cowan surrendered his medical license. Uh, not long ago in California. He was a medical doctor in California over 30 years. I can't believe he lasted that long <laughs> talking about speaking out against vaccines and long before the jab was around, um, you know, doing his own thing, being a trendsetter. A lot of the books that I read on how to raise kids uh, from a food standpoint, and a medicinal standpoint, he was the author of. He, he authored, co-authored with Sally Fallon Morell, uh, the Nourishing Traditions Book of Child and Baby Care. And that, that changed my life. And Thomas Cowan continues to learn to this day. When I had him on, we talked about unschooling kids and a whole host of other shit that had nothing to do with COVID, nothing to do with with, uh, the world. It it did have to do with how the world as it is because we see many systems are broken. And so so I was able to connect that dot right there. (laughs) It's almost about to go off the rails. Stay with me here. Uh, Dr. Nathan Riley is doing the same. You know, he is continuing to learn. He's taking a a full-blown course and... Course in anthroposophical medicine, which is really what Steiner founded. And in those principles, how the body works, how it connects on all levels, every form of the body, the astral, the etheric, you know, how do all these play and interplay within ourselves and in the cosmos? And what is the best way to treat each form of our body? in part and in totality. And I think that that ongoing education is fascinating to me. It's fascinating to me for a number of reasons. First and foremost, I'm diving into biodynamic farming, which Steiner birthed. It was one of the last few things he did before he passed away about 100 years ago was start giving lectures on biodynamic farming because farmers in Europe that had been following him understood these principles must apply to the land. They must apply as above, so below, to the animals they worked with, the soil they worked with, the plants that they grew, and they did. And finally, Steiner, in a couple of very long lectures, birthed biodynamic farming. And uh, unfortunately, he passed away before he could continue that work. He had much more, many more levels to get into, but a lot of his students have since, either through connecting to him in the astral or just continuing there to learn on the land, they have since furthered that process. And that's been a big, big draw for me to learn that, in a short period of time, at least the bare basics, minimums to do, so we can do it as we learn it. But I know that that's going to be uh, one of the largest fields of study that I that I put myself into is Steiner's work. And Dr. Nathan Riley has really taken a deep dive into that. Um, he's a fucking fantastic human. He recently went on a sacred hunt with my boy Monsel and Jason and Jared Picard and a lot of excellent people that have been on this podcast. Um, I just love, I love you, Nathan. You're the man, you're, you're, you're a brother. And I love getting to sit with you and, and chat. Um, this podcast, we dove into a bunch of stuff. He had recently had an excellent podcast with my buddy, Mike Salemi. Uh, Salemi's been on the show a couple of times. He started his own podcast. I recently was a guest on there, but that prompted a lot of our discussion, a lot of discussion around fatherhood and um, all sorts of good stuff on this podcast. So I know you guys will dig this one. Support this show by sharing this with someone you know will dig it. Um That's an easy one. Get somebody to listen to the whole thing. That can make them a fan of the show and get them listening more. Leave us a five-star rating with one or two ways the show's helped you out in life. Organifi. Uh, Up until the end of this month, we'll be hooking up one winner with free product that I get to choose. It'll be one of the big three, green, red, or gold, and um, you're going to love it. It absolutely works. It's incredible. It helps you feel different. It works, and it it tastes phenomenal, and you don't have to feel guilty about it. It's 100% organic, good food. And then support our sponsors. Our sponsors make this show possible. I'll be talking about our sponsors in a second here, but first I want to tell you about Full Temple Reset. Your Full Temple Reset was something that I created, uh, birthed it on the land in Sedona after prompted by Anahanta uh, to do a soul wander and my brother Aubrey Marcus letting us know that we would have the ability to run immersives in fit for service. This would be the first immersive that we did. And really in that immersive, the difference between an immersive and a core event is that the core event can host, you know, 200 to 300 people. And immersive is going to be a handful of people, in this case, 40 people that come together. And rather than me just teaching this shit, I wanted to do it, right? I talk about this on the podcast with Aubrey and the team. It's not enough to know, we must do. One of my favorite quotes from from Bruce Lee. And in that, it's because he knew, as well as many, experience is the best teacher. And so if I've got a handful of people, can we go through a fast that most everyone can do. And if you can't do it, that's cool. There'll be other shit to learn. Can we get in the sauna on the ice tub every single day? Can we do Dr. Kelly Storette and Aaron Alexander's Align Method and really open up the body so that we're clearing our system on multiple levels from a chakra standpoint, energetic standpoint, down to the physical nature of our body? Fuck yeah, let's do all that. Let's deep dive the psyche with Eric Godsey. That's why I pulled him in. I'm like, hey, buddy, there's stuff I want to cover that I'm not a master in. Will you? Bring your talents to the equation and help unpack the very best in journaling practices, which relates to integration because integration is about habit change. And we cover that extensively. Um, This is also the best place. A lot of people want to work with me or Eric Godsey or a lot of the coaches. like, how do I do that? What do you charge for one-on-ones? Don't do one-on-ones. Come through fit for service. The people I do one-on-ones with have come through fit for service and then said, hey, I want more. And that's fine because they know what to expect. I don't take clients on if I don't know you. And the best way to work with us is in something like this, where you have us for five straight days with a handful of people. There's ample time to ask questions and have them answered. Uh, other things that I don't know well or can't can't help you with are medical. So we bring in the best, my best, my favorites in medicine from Waste to Well. Um, Brigham Bueller, who's a Fit for Service member, started Waste to Well, was recently on the Joe Rogan podcast, Joe Rogan Experience. Joe Rogan experience and did phenomenal. I mean, Joe just just sat down, loved him softballs and let him rant for three hours. And what he exposed uh, really with the problems in the medical system, the insurance system, the pharmaceutical system, all those things combined and why he gave birth two ways to well. What you get in ways to well that you don't get through a general practitioner. You get a 45 minute consultation You get extremely uh, diverse and in-depth blood work analysis that you're not gonna get anywhere else. And you get all of that. And then you get prescriptions. You get whatever you need from a medical standpoint from them. You also get medical clearance, which helps me out because I I don't know your background. I want you to be cleared medically to be able to do this fast with us. Uh, It is the Fasting Mimicking Diet, which is kind of your entry-level easy fast that also still shows scientifically six to 12 months benefit uh, from a metabolic standpoint and a whole host of other standpoints, lowering systemic inflammation, balancing blood sugar, balancing cholesterol, all the good shit. Um, So we get to do all that. We do it all together every day while we're learning it. It is one of the favorite things that I've ever come across, uh, not just because I created it, but because... I actually get to do it with you guys. I fast with you guys. I'm in the sun on the ice bath. I'm stretching and mobilizing every single day as we teach. And um, anytime you go through a challenging experience together, that tends to bond people. That's why the greatest thing that's come from Fit for Service has been the communities that have been built. Next year, also aside from Full Temple Reset, which will be January 25th through the 29th, we'll link to that in the show notes. We also have gone back to the year long program for Fit for Service. And in this year long program, we're going to go through piece by piece, the Song of Solomon, the fourfold Song of Solomon, which we talked about on uh, last week's episode. If you haven't listened to that one and you're like, ah, fit for service, whatever that, listen to that episode. We really break down what we're going to teach next year. There's a lot of giveaways in terms of the knowledge there and the fields of study, who we're learning this from and where you can go to find them. And then, of course, who we're going to be bringing in. I mean, we're bringing in the best of the best of the best. Every year, we continue to meet people. Every year, we're continuing to learn and grow ourselves, much like Dr. Nathan Riley. And we bring these people to our events. We make them keynote speakers. We pay them a lot of money to come in and speak at these events to teach not only you guys, but to teach us directly, to form those relationships and bonds and allow us to continue to learn with them outside of our events. And... Um, that's been you know, exceptional. It's been one of the mo- my most favorite things is that as a student first and a teacher second, I get to continue to learn, continue to grow. And we do that with you guys. And as we do that, we create a container that is greater than the sum of its parts. Meaning when you come to Fit for Service, if you are to stay for the year long event, you can do nothing but transform. You can do nothing but change. You can do nothing but grow and learn. And you get to do it with a lot of amazing people side by side. So I hope to see you guys there at Full Temple Reset on the 25th of January. And I most certainly hope to see you guys enrolled in Fit for Service for the year-long event next year. Check it out, uh, fitforservice.com. We'll link to all this stuff in the show notes. And last but not least, support our sponsors. They make this show possible. I love these guys. and I've handpicked every single one of them. If I have not, my team has sent them to me. I've tried them first and then said, yes, this is dope. It's worth having. A lot of these sponsors have been with me for a very long time. The first we've got today is, is from Nick Bloom and Brian Eddings. Uh, Nick Bloom, I met at Full Temple Reset. Awesome dude. He created a tequila, Desnuda Organic Tequila, which is the cleanest, best tasting premium tequila on the market. Uh, these guys launched this in January of 2022. When they selfishly wanted a tequila that didn't leave them feeling terrible after a night of drinking and a spirit that fit into their health and wellness lifestyle. Out of necessity, they created Desnuda, which means naked. Their Blue Weber agave plants have been organically grown in Jalisco's Amatian region for seven years. Desnuda is a certified USDA organic and GMO and additive free, meaning zero pesticides, zero herbicides for seven long years. Their domestic competitors grow for only three to four years, all the while using pesticides and herbicides and chemical fertilizers. Zero sugar is added to Desnuda, giving their tequila a low, nearly non-existent glycemic index. This is big. If you're trying to lose weight, alcohol is your enemy. Unless you find a clean alcohol like dry farm wines or Desnuda tequila, in which then you're not gonna be messing up your glycemic index. Other tequilas on the market that do add sugar tend to yield larger products at the expense of your nasty hangovers the next day. Lastly, there's no additives like glycerin, food coloring, or sweeteners, which gives you the cleanest true-to-form tequila just like they made it hundreds of years ago. Nick and Brian aren't just passionate about great tequila. They genuinely care about what they put into their bodies, just like so many of us, and believe there is a way to balance life with alcohol. So next time you're out on the town looking for a tequila to share with friends, don't choose one of the many low-quality, high-additive spirits out there. Instead, drink clean, drink naked, and choose Desnuda Organic Tequila for your health and wellness journey. Order Desnuda at www.desnudatequila.com and use the code KKP for a 15% discount on your first purchase. And of course, we'll link to that in the show notes, desnudatequila.com, code KKP at checkout. We are also brought to you today by paleovalley.com. My boy Jose Stradley, former Fit For Service member, also uh, helps post all these podcasts. He puts them on the YouTube and gets them ready for Podbean, which takes them out to Stitcher and iTunes and Google Play and Spotify and whoever else we're we're sending podcasts to. Thank you, Jose, for being a team member. You're you're the shit. And Jose texts me. He's like, "Dude, have you tried the new Paleo Valley chocolate collagen?" with raw milk. He knows I'm big on the raw milk. We've got an awesome local farm that we go to, in Schulenburg, uh, Strike Family Farms. If you're a Texan and you want to get the best milk possible, they use raw milk from uh, Jersey cows, which has the right type of casein. If you're familiar with Dr. Stephen Gundry's work, A2 casein, which is uh, a lot like our mother's milk and not like Holstein cows, the big black and white cows that can fuck you up even if it is raw. So uh, he turned me onto this and I've been mixing this for the kids. I actually warmed the milk up and this is our hot chocolate. I'll warm the raw milk, not boiling, not cooking, just warm it up. I'll mix that in with a little whisker guy, about uh, three quarters of a scoop. It's damn sweet, so you don't need a lot. I put three quarters of a scoop in there and then I pour them out. We put a couple of really good uh, clean, little mini marshmallows with no, no fake shit in there. And yes, it's sugar in the marshmallow, but come on guys, it's a tiny bit. Two, three marshmallows is not going to kill you. With the raw milk and the Paleo Valley chocolate collagen, and it is the best hot chocolate on the planet. All winter long, this is what we got going. It is my favorite evening drink. The kids beg for it. And I'm like, finish your finish your liverwurst, finish your whatever. If they, if they want to have one of these, and it works very well. It's very well, very good bargaining tool for parents out there. And it tastes damn good, whether you got kids or not, you're going to love this. It's a great way to get phenomenally raised uh, animal products that are 100% grass-fed and grass-finished, done in a very regenerative way, thinking about the whole system in place holistically. What does this do to the soil? What does this do for the animal health? What does this do for the human health? All baked into the same equation. Oh, that's what Paleo Valley is known for. And Autumn Smith and uh, her partners that helped start Paleo Valley are tracking this stuff. Autumn Smith was on the podcast. She's doing a dissertation right now. She's gonna get a PhD in regenerative. She's learning from Fred Provenza, who's gonna come on the podcast, who wrote Nourishment and was a guest on Paul Check's show. They're dialed the fuck in. I mean, their entire company is dialed in. Everything they make is with health in mind. And they're not just thinking about people or profit lines. They're thinking about the entire system. And I love what they do. Check out their chocolate collagen. It will change your life. Also, they just released, de- uh, is it? No, it's freeze-dried fish roe. Now I tried having fish roe when, you know, little little fish fish eggs. Uh, when Dr. Rhonda Patrick was talking about it, I ordered a shit ton. They're very expensive for wild caught salmon. And it was so salty, I couldn't do it. And I remember trying to get my wife to do it when she was pregnant with Wolf. And she's like, no, I'm not eating that. And I was like, damn, dude, we spent like 400 bucks. Um, I tried everything, crackers, cream cheese, anything to drown out the saltiness. And it was a bit much. So we ended up giving that away. And probably people threw that in the trash and it was a huge waste. And I'm sorry, Pachamama, I'm sorry for all the fish eggs that went to waste. But now this freeze-dried, the freeze-dried fish roe, when you freeze-dry something, that process locks in the micronutrients without... Denaturing the item that you're about to consume. It also helps it last longer. It's a great way to preserve things. A lot of people in the prepper space are big into freeze-drying. But the freeze-dried fish row that you get is loaded. It is the fucking, it's like taking the same thing. It is absolutely loaded with micro and macronutrients that you can't get in very other places. It's got tons of omega-3 fatty acids, it's got tons of bile-available micronutrients and You don't have to worry about nasty fish burps. You don't have to worry about how salty it is going down. You just take these six capsules and voila, inflammation goes down, energy goes up, cognitive ability grows up. I absolutely love this product. These are my two favorite things, brand new favorite things that Paleo Valley has sent me. Thank you. Check it all out, paleovalley.com, P-A-L-E-O-V-A-L-L-E-Y.com, discount code KYLE, K-Y-L-E for 15% off everything in the store. Go try this shit out right now. We're also brought to you by my homies at BiOptimizers. Did you know that your natural ability to digest food declines with age? This is because your body produces fewer enzymes, which are the proteins responsible for digesting food. Fewer enzymes means more difficulty digesting food. This is especially true if you cook your food because cooking kills enzymes. This is why you may have digestion problems even after a healthy meal. Your body just can't produce enough enzymes to get the job done. This is where supplementing with a high-quality enzyme supplement can be a huge help. I personally recommend Masszymes by Bioptimizers. It's a best-in-class supplement loaded with full-spectrum enzymes for digesting proteins, starches, sugars, fibers, and fats. Taking Masszymes daily helps to top off your enzyme levels and replace the enzymes your body is no longer producing, which means you'll be able to eat all sorts of delicious foods and digest them quickly and effortlessly. After you start taking Masszymes, you may notice that you no longer feel bloated after meals and that your belly feels flatter. And if you have leaky gut, Masszymes could reduce gut irritation and help you absorb more nutrients. If you want freedom back from your food, especially during the holiday season, try Masszymes risk-free and experience for yourself the magic of high-quality enzymes. For an exclusive offer for my listeners, just go to masszymes.com slash Kingsboo. Y'all are the best that make the longest URLs. Don't worry, y'all. This is in the show notes. <laughs> that's just how it sounds. www.masszymes.com slash Kyle Kingsboo. And make sure to enter the coupon code Kingsboo10. That's 10 thats one zero to receive 10% discount on your entire order. Just remember Kingsboo10 after you click the link in the show notes and uh, get hooked up. These guys are the best. They make digestion easy and fun. And last but not least, we're brought to you by one of my longest sponsors, Organifi.com slash KKP. These guys are incredible. They've been a huge supporter of the podcast. Uh, They are supporting the podcast really well right now, especially because they're giving you guys free stuff. All you got to do is leave a podcast review on iTunes or Spotify or any of the major ones and say one or two ways the show's helped you out in life also leave your at such and such handle uh, It means you have to have a social media account. I know that's the devil Bobby um, but leave us your Twitter handle your, your Instagram handle your Facebook handle and then we can reach out to you to get you your product so do that. One or two ways the show has helped you out in life, and I'm going to send you one of my favorite products. It's either going to be the Organifi Green, which is a phenomenal balancing adaptogenic tea with less than three grams of carbohydrates. It tastes incredible. It's a great way to get your greens. If you don't like eating greens, it's got ashwagandha, a fat clinical dose of ashwagandha, and a whole host of other things. Moringa, many superfoods brought together that normally are pretty bitter and don't taste great, and yet they've mastered the way this tastes, and it's not going to leave you feeling sluggish or giving you a carb overload. It's just gonna help you switch on. It's a fantastic thing to pair if you're like me on a caffeinated day and you need to balance and slow it down. This helps open up the periphery and get you back to your center while remaining calm and alert. Fantastic stuff. That's the greens. It's one of my favorite. The red is an excellent pre-workout, pre-bedroom. It's also a great thing if you've got a sweet tooth and you're like, fuck, man, I kind of want a piece of fruit, but I'm going low carb have a glass of the red. It knocks out your sweet tooth. It helps build nitric oxide levels in the body, which is great for opening up vasodilation in the body, sending critical nutrients and oxygen where it needs to go, whether that's to your stuff downstairs or to your muscles or to your brain. The body's intelligence will direct that. Organifi Red Juice is incredible. And like I said, the Organifi Gold is phenomenal for helping you unwind. It's got 300 milligrams of lemon balm extract, which is amazing for helping you chill. It's not going to knock you out, so I don't have to take this right before bed. It's good right before bed, but I like taking it in the evening. Sometimes I'll have it uh, right when I get home from work, and I need to switch gears from having a work, work, work mentality into a slow down and play with the kids mentality. Make a little gold, shift gears. Now, cool, I'm in a calm and centered state, and we can go about the rest of the evening's activities before winding down and going to bed. You're going to get one of those three. They are are incredible um, this company's incredible like I said I've had Drew Canole on the CEO and founder um, just amazing guys and gals that work with them everyone that I've met over at Paul Chicks events is always incredible and I always enjoy my time with them uh, organify.com slash Kkp use code Kkp for 20% off everything in the store and please look at the giant list of supplements these guys have created they've created many many great products I only touch on a few here in these uh, in these ad reads but they have a suite of of amazing gear. Check it all out. organifycom slash KKP. And without further ado, my brother, Dr. Nathan Riley. <sighs> well, I feel, um, I'm excited, but I'm also like more, it's kind of an interesting feeling to prepare it <laughs> because it's been the first time where I've had many podcasts in a row. Um, I was down to, we had, we had, really good planning leading up to our final event in Sedona for fit for service where yeah. my assistant was like, Hey man, look, we know you're going to be gone. The internet in Sedona's dog shit. See if you can get all your intros done, you know, for the next few podcasts. And we had such a great lineup between, you know, Mark Gaffney who was one of my favorites of all time yeah. and Richard Rudd and just so many great guests on knocked those all out. I got home, um, got Gaffney out. And then it was like, hey, we've got nothing for next week. And I was like, <laughs> I've, been, I've been meaning to do a solo cast. Solo cast turned out great. And then I just started putting pen to paper on who I wanted. And um, so many people reached out that they were coming to town. You're coming to town, want to yeah. stay with us? I'm like, fuck yeah, and let's podcast. <laughs> and, uh, uh, the carnivore dog, Paul Saladino, was like, dude, I'm coming in town for a week. I'm like, I want to show you the farm. Let's it's podcast. The universe <laughs> delivering. <laughs> it was like fucking right right away. You know, it was so instantaneous. Um, yeah, Clay Martin, guy I've been wanting to hang with and podcast with. He's been a good friend, uh, a coach of mine, you know, in the prepper space and um, shooting. You know, there's no one better as a shooter, uh, really. So that, that was awesome, you know. And I had back to back podcasts yesterday, face to face. It's been a long time since I've had this many live podcasts.
1: It's so nice in a week. It's just it? so nice to be sitting across from somebody as opposed to the. Yeah, the man. computer screen. <laughs> yeah, it's really
0: nice and you're out in Kentucky, you know, you're probably the same way as I am like hey, if you can do face to face great, but it's not always. It's not happening all the time. It's not always yeah. happening, you know. Yeah. And before even before I left um, for Sedona, Ted Ochikoso came through, Dr. Scott and they got to show I got to show them the farm and take them around right so on. it's been I've been really fortunate and blessed to have as many awesome people that I do get to connect with face-to-face because the first time I podcast with Ted was online and and it was great, you know, he dropped a a fucking hour-long lecture. (laughs) I didn't say a damn thing. I was just nodding with smiling.
1: Yeah, yeah.
0: Um, I think we did the same thing on the second round, but uh, yeah, it's always always good to be face-to-face with people. One of the things I wanted to chat with you about is, I mean, it has been a while since you've been on the podcast. We've done, uh, we've had a lot going on in life. I did want to talk, you know, this interesting conversation that you had with Mike Salemi, you know, so I want to, I want to draw sure. that out for my listeners. Was that on his podcast?
1: Yeah, on The Path. He, cool. He's got a great setup there. And he and I met when we were about to embark on the Sacred Hunt with Monsul. Mm-hmm. And uh, so next I want, time, I want I'm he- going to go
0: with you. But <laughs> I want to hear all about the Sacred Hunt. And oh, I definitely yeah. want to hear about, you know, the conversation pieces that you drove into or dove into rather on on parenthood and fatherhood specifically, yeah, yeah. you know? And, and for those that don't know, you're the holistic OBGYN. Uh, you uh, are a master of staring into the <laughs> into the vulva of, of the divine feminine. The
1: vulva, I mean the void, yeah, yeah.
0: <laughs> yeah. <laughs> yeah, but you've also, you're a checkie. Uh, yeah. You're somebody that I connected with um, at Paul's, uh, 60th birthday and really, you know, it was a hand-picked selected group of people, some of which I knew, some of which I hadn't met before. Um, first time being able to drop in with you, Ben Stewart, who's a buddy, Jason Picard, who's now a close friend. And, um, and, uh, of course, Dr. Nick, you know, who's just a great guy. Nick and
1: Barry, the man. Know,
0: really, we had such an amazing experience together and a challenging one at that. Yeah. And those are the best ones to go through together. You know, if there's no challenge, it's cool. But Having some brotherhood
1: like, through yeah, hanging, <laughs> 20 <laughs> harrowing hours of
0: <laughs> vomiting. Check <Czech and>, medicine. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I think that's, um that's an experience, you know, we'll never forget for sure. I was actually, we were just chatting with Hamilton Southerz. Another thing that, another great podcast I just got to have. Hamilton, Um, my man. Thanks to you, you know, and I got to sit with Hamilton for the first time in Sedona. Um, and then you hit me up. You're like, hey, if you know this guy, Hamilton Southern," I was like, dude, I just sat with him for the first
1: time. And you're like, no shit. Another bizarre like, synchronicity. Yeah, i like, I yeah. hey, just had him yeah. on the
0: podcast. You got to have him on. And I fucking, yeah, he, literally, we got it scheduled that week. You know, it's Monday. I do my solo cast. Wednesday, he comes on the show. I was like, two days later, I'm like, this is fucking rad. So it was really cool because it was super fresh material to dive yeah. into. Yeah. And, um, you know, you and I are both. Huge fans of Hamilton. We're gonna, I think like, I'm, we're both just on the cusp of getting to work with him. It's a blue morpho. He was a real master yeah. uh, of the medicine, of all medicines for that matter. For real. Uh, for real. So yeah, I'm, I'm super pumped about that, but let's dive into this hunt. You know, Jason put together um, a sacred hunt with Monsel, and pretty much everyone there was somebody I knew and cared about, right? Ian Morris went on the show, the sound guy who was recently on my podcast and, and has been on Paul Check's podcast. Um, uh, Mike Salemi, who's, who's a dear brother. And um, you know, has, we, we've been with Mike, you know, Mike's been a homie of mine and Tasha's for some time. So like yeah. we've waited for Lauren to show up, you know, we've waited yeah. for his partner to show up and we've waited for him to enter into the space that he's
1: really, you know, been calling in. And so that's been, that's been pretty fantastic. What a period but, of growth he's going, going through. I mean, and fatherhood of course is the ultimate rite of passage for a young man. Mm-hmm. to be able to see on the other side of that portal like that's a scary place to be and i think he's going through that so the sacred hunt was actually a part of that experience no for him and he had reached out he and Lauren reached out early on when they just found out they were pregnant they were like listen we just want to chat and and i was like dude whatever you guys need like you guys are showing up in the world in light and love and that's the best use of my quote skill set and experience that i think you could imagine so our conversation around fatherhood coupled with the hunt was like this epic, I think, experience for him over a, a matter of like four days. Um, his, his initiation, so to speak, has already begun. Yeah. And I think that's important for men. Like, you have a lot of young male listeners. Well, guys, like, when you ante up and you show up to the table and you tr- make this transition into fatherhood, there's a, lot of, there's a lot more questions than you have answers, you know? And even you and I both having a couple kids, there's not really a way to do it. But his big question was like, how do I support Lauren through this? And I was like, Brother, you're talking to the right guy. He's asking
0: the right questions, right? <laughs> the, the, right questions. the right questions. The right questions. Yeah, yeah.
1: It would be very different if I was a, a women's health specialist and I'd sat with so many births. Like it's been a thousand plus births now, a thousand plus deaths as well. And so the two of these combine into a really beautiful. They can combine into a really beautiful synchronistic way to view any rite of passage. And I think fatherhood is is one of those things. So. So Mike and I had a really rich conversation on his podcast. We really talked about how to support a woman, and we'll get into that. But I do think it'd be fun to talk a little bit about the hunt because that was yeah, my fuck very yeah. no, no, first please, experience. Brother, please, I, yeah, yeah,
0: it's so dope because I'm so pissed that I didn't get to go. It was the exact same uh, week that that I was in Sedona, and I was like Jason. It could be any other week. Like if you, if you tell me far enough in advance, I can move Sedona's dates if it's before we announce them, right? Like yeah. if it's 2023 and you've got dates in mind, tell me now because I'll move that so I won't miss this yeah. fucking sacred yeah. hunt with all yeah. my homies, you know? Like I meet great people on the sacred hunts. Nate Smith, yeah. one of my very close friends that I've met on the hunt. Uh, I brought Eric Vaughn in who, who, who was on one of the sacred hunts, one of the first ones we did. And, uh, and the very first one I did was with the carnivore dog, Paul Saladino, who's was a dear brother. And that's when I got to... To meet Monsel for the first time. So yeah. I've got some lifelong friends that oh I've met gosh. in these experiences. Yeah. That said, I've never done one where it was curated with everyone that I know and care about. Yeah. You know, so yeah. I was like, I don't want to miss that. <laughs> like, I'll I know. give you one fucking pass, but if you do this annually, which you're gonna,
1: yeah. I had better damn sure be on that <laughs> list every fucking hunt after this, right? I felt bad. I was like, oh my God. It was literally the day before you were like, dude, let me know when you're gonna do it. The next day, Picard <laughs> texts me. and He's like, do you wanna come and do a hunt with me? And I was like, Yes. Let me talk to Kyle too. And you were like, dude, I'm going to be in Sedona. Like it just, the universe did not. You guys not needed alignment. to do one without me. Maybe. Yeah. 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 So the, the, my experience on the hunt was having a shot at a deer and missing three times, which were you was guys doing a uh, bow or rifle rifle. Okay. So I had never, re- I mean, I'd shot like 22 rifles and whatnot. I'd shot a, uh, a 30-06 once, it was an old wooden Remington, similar to the gun gun, actually I used on the hunt, which was interesting. And um, my biggest uh, fear, so to speak, my biggest apprehension was when I see, and I told you this, when I see the deer in the sights, am I going to be able to pull the trigger? When I got there, we had already done mushrooms. We had already done the sacrament. And it was the next morning where I was dialed in, I was ready and I had, it was like a hundred yards in, the deer offered herself to me. And I pulled the trigger, but before I pulled the trigger, I thought, I love you and I'm going to kill you. Thank you for offering yourself up to me. That was the experience. That was the medicine for me. And of course I missed. And then I missed again <laughs> and I missed again. And the medicine for me was like, oh, you, you owe, out of respect to this animal, you owe them the the gift of practicing and honing your skills with a like that to me was like, Oh, respect me. And and so when we, part of the sacred hunt is you do a little bit of medicine on this beautiful piece of old Comanche territory. And in that ceremony, I had asked, you know, it's always important when you go into a ceremony, as you know, to set intentions, to really dial in. What what are my, what are my, what's the set and what's the setting? The, The set is your mindset. What are your intentions? How are you, going into this experience, you're not running away from something. You actually wanna go deeper. And I had asked, what is the role or what is the purpose of the heart? And three things came to me, patience, reverence, and presence. And while it was in a very challenging journey, because I provided my own medicine for this, and it was such a great experience that Monsells actually asked me to provide it going forward, which was like the greatest honor ever. He was like this, the intentions put into these, this medicine is what's missing from my hunt. And everybody there had like a, a totally heart opening experience. There's a lot of Shakti, there's a lot of feminine energy, which I think is an important part of our conversation around parenthood as well. But what um, came to me, was a very hard experience for me at first was respect me motherfucker that came through loud and clear. And I don't know if that was from the deer, if it was from you know Gaia, Mother Earth herself, mm-hmm. but it was very humbling. And then sure enough, this deer is like, come and get me. Like, I'm here for you. I, I am offering myself to you and I missed. So there's, there's medicine in that. And the sacred hunt for me, as I'm sure it is for many people is, it, it shouldn't necessarily be like, I'm gonna go and kill a deer. Yes, that's the, the, the goal. You want to come back with organ meats and all of that. But the medicine I needed there was to get, to be confronted by this matter of respecting the animal and also honoring the fact that this is just the way this goes. Yeah. And she had offered herself to me. And there was some deep medicine there, and I came back, I came back a better person. Not to speak for Mike, but Mike had you, know, connection with his future son, Luca. And, he, and this was just after a two-hour conversation we had, well, multiple hours, but two-hour podcast conversation about how to support Lauren and how to, how to show up for the, the arrival of this little boy that is going to call him Dad for the rest of his life. I think the the rite of passage of hunting for Mike and being on the hunt. And by the way, we saw like a couple animals the entire weekend. It was a very, very sparse you know, opportunity. Um, but, that, but that confrontation by the feminine, I think is actually at the heart of, of what we as dads need to do. You need to be willing to just hold space. And that's the role of the masculine. You're the sides of the mountain. And as you know, with Tosh and I know with my wife, Stephanie, they are the force of nature. They are the current that's going to erode the sides of the mountain. They are the dust storms over Black Rock City when you see an aerial view. The feminine is going to whip and and just traverse the plane. And it is the job of the masculine to hold that container. Have you ever heard Aubrey's uh, poem, A Man is a Mountain? Yes, it's a great poem. It brings me to tears every time I read it. Yeah, yeah, yeah I think that's a perfect way. I've actually given that poem to a couple people who are gonna get married because we as men don't have these rites of passage. And I actually think Monsal and I have grown close in a very short period of time because that was what he was confronted by. As a man, what is my job here? And your job as the masculine is to hold space and to allow the feminine to blossom into whatever the feminine is gonna be. Birth is the ultimate rite of passage in the sense that I would say orgasm gets you pretty darn close to God. And I'm not talking about ejaculation, I'm talking about that transcendent experience through orgasm birth is the ultimate you are you are one with the divine for that moment in time which is why so many women describe that as i am emerging as a new person like i am standing in my sovereignty and womanhood and i'm roaring that is the opportunity so if we can honor that in childbirth that is actually the role of the man that is the role that is your first job as the as the father of this baby is to leave this process undisturbed honor this this transcendent experience and to then to continue holding space thereafter, and helping to guide this little kiddo to become a responsible man himself. So this weekend was pretty powerful. <laughs> yeah, yeah, yeah. It's it's
0: it's interesting, you know, when when these hunts come up, it's like a um, it's there's 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 always a good time for ceremony. If yeah, it's always the right time if the intention is there and. Um, you know, a proper space has been given in between ceremonies. Um, But it's always curious to me, like what comes up, you put something on the date and then it's like, life has a way of bringing shit to the surface. The second you've agreed to the medicine, you know, they say like, the second you, I'm sure this will happen for you as you approach uh, your time at Blue Morpho in uh, this summer, with Hamilton, the closer you get to that, the, your dreams start to change. Yeah, You know, shit just fucking like oh, yeah. the, the deepest levels of downloads, intuition, synchronicity, whatever you wanna call that stuff, starts to come to the forefront and your problems, the things you haven't faced rise to the surface too. And you gotta fucking look at it, Yeah, you know? But it's, an, it's amazing how that works. And I just think like the last, when I went on this last hunt with Salemi, there was a ton he had to release. Uh, from a combo experience with one of our dear friends, you know, who 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 went to the hospital, and like I was, I still had a ton to work through uh, with my dark night of the soul that had yeah, not been alchemized yeah. at all, and I was being tortured, you know, on this journey. And then I, the only thing that grounded me was helping Mike, you know, grounding mm. into that experience that mm. Mike had a lot to release, and so I helped him with with a hape and then I looked at Monsel and was like, I can serve no one else. You got to do this, bud. And so that was that was the only thing that kept me on earth there. Yeah. Was up Mike. But I, I, you know, that that experience, you know, we had we had done combo as a way to prepare for the hunt. And um, you know, uh, I don't want to call it a fluke because it is a little bit more as we've learned, a little bit more prominent than we'd like to imagine, but combo can fuck people up. Yeah. you know, if, if they're yeah. not if they if they don't have the right if they don't have the right history proper for that, you know, and especially with with um, I don't want to dive too much into the medical nature of, of how that can go awry, but if you look into it, it can, you know, and it was a deep, hard fucking learning experience yeah. for Mike and for myself um, that ended up being a very beautiful thing, you know, and, and an excellent, like, I couldn't think of a more potent way to help harmonize that than us to sit together immediately following that experience and really, you know, Absolutely. like grapple with that yeah. on medicine, yeah. you know? Yeah, totally. Um, But yeah, it's kind of like the Shravine says, you know, it's the cosmic giggle. You know, like every time this guy's going to hunt now, there's like some fucking serious shit going on in his life. Oh, yeah. Oh, you're going to be a dad. Or, oh, you know, some
1: friend of yours. uh, Let's see how he does with this (laughs) one. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. 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 Um, What what I always say is that, you know, with medicine, we we all know this, but you don't get the experience, the trip, so to speak, that you want. You get the trip that you need. The experience of hunting is the same way. You don't get the hunt that you want. You get the hunt that you need. And the same goes for, for birth, you know, even parenting, you don't get the kid that you wanted, you get the kid that you need. Like this is one of Steiner's teachings is that whatever you manifest on the inside is expressed externally. And we're not talking about, you know, um, you know, get your, your, your nervous system together so you can lift heavier weights. Yes. But that's like, that's like the preschool level. What we're, what we're talking about with these rites of passages that that there's, there's these, these influences that come up within us. And it is this tension between the aramonic forces, the luciferic forces, what you do with that, how you alchemize the experiences is actually what manifests later. You're, you're creating your own story as you go. And this is far deeper than just setting up your 401k. This is, this is way, way beyond that. This is, goes beyond the physical. So when we, when we have these experiences, I do think that most men who are going to be fathers, they should probably do a really, really deep medicine journey. They probably should do that because you're going to be confronted with the things that you haven't been willing to work on. And we were talking about some other people in our community who, you know, if you don't deal with that stuff, it accumulates on you, inside of you, in your yeah. mind, in your emotional body, in your mental body. In your physical in body. In your physical body. It actually yeah. manifests as, you know, sometimes like a puffiness. You start gaining weight. You're holding on to these things that, you, that are not yours to be held onto. With fatherhood, the same thing happens. And now you're going to be projecting that onto your kiddo. So we need the sacred hunt. We need you to step into the masculine and own the masculine, not be afraid to own the masculine. And a part of owning the masculine is honoring with reverence. There's that reverence that comes up, the feminine. And Mother Earth, these animals, the fauna, the flora, everything, it is the physical manifestation of the feminine. That's why this is so important. And that's also why it's so nice to know people like you, where you are obviously... The embodied masculine, but you are so in touch with the feminine. You care for the feminine. You have a reverence for the feminine. And many men, I don't think, have that. They still come to the table in birth as to Mister Fix it. I'm here to fix the problem, <laughs> yeah. guys. There's nothing to fix in birth. There's nothing to fix in the hunt. This is you and only you working through whatever that shit is that you've held onto your whole life. If you don't do it, your little kid is going to see you as the as a as a um, a flawed person as yeah, opposed to they, they see right you. fucking through it right too there's no you. way to
0: hide yeah what you're feeling there's no way to hide uh what you're expressing and the way you see that is through this amazing little mirror that's right in front of you yeah what, what, a, te- they will what show a teacher up like why is my son yelling so much oh, oh. <laughs> <laughs> fuck fuck me you know? no i did that oh my god i did that yeah yeah yeah, yeah. yeah big time. It's a, this is stirring up a lot of memories that I've had from hunting. My first hunt that I did as an adult was a rifle hunt in Northeastern Oregon. And, um, and it was in the town Joseph. So there was uh, named after Chief Joseph, you know, and, and Paul's mother yeah. um, had done this. She's an amazing sculptor. She had done this amazing bronze sculpture of Chief Joseph. And that's what allowed her to start working um, with the Native American church and some of the different tribes. And that's what Paul, pulled Paul in to then educate on health and wellness and, you know, his bread and butter. Yeah. Um, yeah. And so that, that, that was a strong feeling, a strong connection to Chief Joseph. But six days, um hiking 15 12 10 miles a day we started getting less and less i just wanted to meditate more as the trip wore on um in the snow in ice you know up and down very steep cliffs it was fucking not like 15 15 miles of walking on flat terrain it was fucking hard yeah yeah and um we didn't see i saw the ass of one cow elk on our final day it was thanksgiving day in 2019 and just pang, like gone, laser fast. It looked, reminded me of a fucking moose. That's how big this thing was. I'd never seen an elk that big in my life. I was like, wow, <gasps> wow. 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 And um, I purposely have withheld hunting elk since then because of the challenge of it. And because I've wanted to... You know, just get better. You know, yeah. I want to get better. Yeah. The, the, the hunts are not cheap. I don't, it's not like I'm swimming in dough. So, like, I got to be very mindful of, of where I go, where am I going to get the most reps in? And I think Hawaii was actually one of the better places for me to go um, build experience, especially with the bow. Mm. And then since then, you know, we've done a, a couple of sacred hunts with Mansell. one of which I was kind of, you know, Monsal's not going to do this again. We didn't know until we got there, but it was shooting out of blinds towards feeders. So it's more oh, of like, yeah. this yeah, is yeah, kind yeah. of a harvest. This isn't necessarily, yeah, sure. you know, and, and Saladino didn't know, Monsell didn't know until we got there. Uh, we did some spot and stock. Um, but that was that was out since then. You know, we haven't we haven't gone back to that mode. And um the hunt we did in Hunt, Texas during the snow apocalypse with Eric and Salemi, that was such a powerful uh journey for us all. And and it was such an important piece for me because to your point, where you say, I love you, you know, God guide my bullet, right? That prayer is important because one, you're showing respect and reverence. Two, you don't wanna miss and and hit, yeah, right? If you miss completely, that's a thousand times better than missing and hitting. Uh, My second kill ever was, uh, so in Hawaii at 25 yards, Right through the heart, I drill my first bore. Falls over, doesn't make a peep. I come up, put my hand on its on its body, and just honor it. Slice its throat, let it bleed out, and um, couldn't have gone better. Yeah. Right. Yeah. Later that night, I see a family of four, and I've talked a bit about this on the podcast, but I see that there's you know through binos at forty three yards, not too far. Sure. uh, A mom, a dad, and a couple of pups, and I can't tell what's the mom or what's the dad from that far. And I I get aimed. And they start to move and I drill the mom right in the stomach. And if you've ever heard a fucking pig squeal, Whew. it is a sound you don't get out of your mind, right? And I sprinted over to this thing. Its whole family takes off, I sprint over to this and now I've got to get to its, its neck and open it up while it's thrashing, thrashing and fucking uh. just screaming like a pig. Um, so that, that to me was like the, the importance of a clean kill was never more apparent than oh, that yeah. moment. And oh, yeah. I've, I've purposely drawn down many, many, many times if I knew I didn't have the shot uh, since then. So that, that's been important. Um, hmm. And then, you know, one more piece that's come up for me from this and I'll, then I'll shut the hell up was- uh, <laughs>
1: I love it, keep going.
0: <laughs> when I did, the, when we had this final sacred hunt, it was with a rifle and it was for Audad. And um, like I said, I had really struggled in my journey and we came back um to our little house and i was pretty not in the mood to do it anymore you know i was just like i'm fucking done And it reminded me of fights where i kind of questioned myself in the locker room like what the fuck am i doing here and i think Mm -hmm. a lot of fighters Mm. will admit that at some point in their career they ask themselves that (laughs) what am i doing (laughs) as you're walking to the cage or some point you're just like what am i doing why did i say yes to this yeah yeah and i'm questioning everything and and I just would start wrapping my hands, you know, and I'd just start jumping rope and I just start shadow would go through the motions until mm. I wanted to do it. Yeah. And so, you know, after the the journey, it was a Saturday afternoon. I just started going through the motions. I laced up my boots, started tying them real slow, mopey as shit, put my, you know, clothes back on, um, got paired up with our guide who's an exceptional guide, and we went out. And uh, same thing, same prayer. I love you so much. Great spirit, please guide this bullet. Yeah. And I shoot over the back of the entire herd. Oh yeah. Right. So they scatter. Yeah. And now we've got a search on 1500 acres. <laughs> <laughs> it took me five, five laps, but through all that spot and stock and walking, it really became, it had to become clear what the, uh, what I, why I was there. And each hunt is different, right? You know, so I'd had hunts where I was supporting my family or supporting the tribe. And I'd say, you know, immediately these questions start coming up. Why am I here? Mm. And I'd say, to, to support my family. And you'd be like, No, you're not. Mm. You can fucking buy food at Whole Foods, dude. You you got a stocked freezer. You're not here to support your family. And I was like, Oh shit. Well, if it ain't that, what is it? You know, and I'm still walking and looking and just fucking the mind games, you know, like, <laughs> uh, um, I'm here to support the tribe. I'm here to support you know my my friends and family, the people that I'm gonna I'm gonna share this with. Nope, that's nope. not it. Let's try and again. It, it finally came to a point where I started connecting to the energy of death itself, mm. like the energy of Kali and the necessity um, of death to have life. Like there is no life without death. It sounds fucking cliche, but I had to come to terms with that in a way where I said to myself, I will participate in killing something for the sheer act of participating in death for the renewal of life, right? We mm. eat the dead body. We consume the most alive, closest to living bodies, the most closest yeah. to living plants yeah, and fruits. And the more alive they are, the better it is for us, Absolutely, right? The more dead it is and shelf stable it is, the less good it is for us, right? So can I take something that was living and, and shrew my will and its life with the sole purpose of renewing life in me and those that I love? And once I said yes to that, once I said yes to death, fucking he stops me. He goes, they're at 200 yards. And I was like, I mean, it was, it was so That's instantaneous. It. Yeah, It was so fucking secret. I was like, what the fuck? Like the timing of that through all the walking, once it clicked and the feeling was one of when I fought, there were times where like I really tapped into, I'm going to fucking destroy you. I don't even if I win or lose, you're yeah. gonna be fucked up from this fight. And I did very well when I fought that way. I wasn't angry, but it was like, there's like a ruthless, I'm here to fucking annihilate you and nothing else. Yeah. When I had that, I'd win sometimes very quickly. When I had the, you know, I want to be the best version of myself and (laughs) I get my ass beat, you know, many times. Yeah. yeah. Um, And so I I, I likened it to that experience and I was like, I'm here to fuck this guy up and I will honor you and love you and use nose to tail and use as much of your body as I can. And the rest of you will be recycled back to Pachamama, but I'm here to fuck you up. And the second I took that, pow, perfect shot, walked it down. And I remember talking this animal down, which is another... You know, Just an amazing experience where you, I feel like Beastmaster in a hunt where I can literally connect to that animal mm. and slow it down and so say, you don't need to run and just start taking deep breaths with it and really settle it and center it and calm it and come into.
1: Like reassuring it. Yeah. Like yeah. it's
0: okay. I'm going to guide doing you green. what you do in hospice. Yeah. I'm going to guide you to the other side and it's going to be okay. Yeah. It's going to be beautiful. I got you. You know, so like I am now the hospice care doctor that's gonna guide this animal through death.
1: right? And right.
0: just really slowing down and loving that animal and giving it that energy and breathing with it. And I remember taking the last breath with that animal that it took. And I watched its soul. It wasn't like Casper the Friendly Ghost where it just lifted up and went to the heavens. I could see its essence move away from its body in all directions and dissolve into everything.
1: I have something to add to that. Yes, go for it. So I'm studying anthroposophy and, you know, there's a lot of people talking about Steiner. Like there was this one guy on on Instagram recently that I saw, he had a book. He was like, what summer, what were your favorite summer reads? And he had knowledge of higher worlds. And I was like, bullshit, you're reading that on the beach, just casually watching the girls playing volleyball and you're going back to that. This is some deep esoteric stuff. And in that study, first off, I want to say to your point about death, there's no real initiation unless death is on the line. There has to be some actual threat, which is why you get that catecholamine surge as the hunter, the same catecholamine surge that the deer experiences when it's hit. Blood starts pumping faster. That's part of the reason the deer can run, but also it kills them faster. Like when that threat is there, that's a real initiation. So I want to add that. And, and I also want to draw on a little bit of anthroposophy. In, in anthroposophic medicine, which for those who don't know, Steiner, he was a... a Eighteenth into, I'm sorry, nineteenth into twentieth century, um, spiritual scientist is what he would call himself. But he started off in the in the rigid scientific community in Germany at the time, and through his study and understanding of the Eastern philosophies, he came up with a more um, a more uh, comprehensive, integrative view of the human experience. There was the physical, there's the etheric, there's the astral, and the eye. And between the physical and the etheric is where you get the the thinking body between the etheric and astral, you get this, the feeling body. And then between the astral and the eye, you get the, the, um, the spiritual, the, the consciousness. That's where all of that emerges. So in the study of anthroposophic medicine, which is one of his three big bodies of work. And by the way, this guy gave like 6,000 lectures over 10 years. I mean- Wrote 118 channeling books. Yeah. some from somewhere. Like this was deep, very intelligent stuff that wouldn't make sense unless you dedicated your life to studying it. So I'm very new to this, but I'm starting to put pieces together in these rites of passage. And after this hunt, it occurred to me in studying plants, if you watch a plant grow, you know there's roots below, there's this, this plant growing above. And as the plant gets bigger, the leaves on the, on the bottom fall away. And you get this etheric force, which is pooling the plant as opposed to a strictly mineral body being grown from nutrients in the soil. Yes, that's a part of it. But Steiner would say, instead of us thinking how large is the hand going to grow, perhaps there's already the framework for the hand and the hand stops growing when it reaches its maximum potential. It's a very, very different way to look at it with the same outcome. You still get a big hand with all of five fingers. So the exercise that you can consider when you think about this animal is imagine you're standing on the circumference of a circle and you're looking at the radius of the circle, the dead center. As that circle moves far, further away, just imagine that, the circle is now getting further and further away. The, the arch, the, the circumference of the circle is getting bigger and bigger. What if that point goes to infinity? You end up with a horizontal horizon. What if it goes beyond infinity? This is abstract, but there's the only, the only way that we can really make sense of life and death is if we just conceptualize it. So now you've reached infinity. You have a horizontal line. Beyond infinity, the, the circle starts to reflect on itself. And what was outside or what was inside becomes outside and what was outside becomes inside. So when you look at a plant and you consider the soil line, that horizon, what you're seeing is this etheric force is pulling the plant above. And as the plant dies, it becomes more mineral and this etheric force is released in every direction. We're not talking about just into space in different directions. We are talking about in every direction simultaneously. That is the life force that we, that we so desperately crave to understand. And there's a lamentation in our society because we're so stuck in this reductive model of what life and death is supposed to mean. But that etheric force is what separates a plant from a rock. And we know that there's something there. We just don't have the language because of Descartes and Francis Bacon and all these guys who, you know, in, to their credit, they came around near the high middle ages when we were just coming out of the witch hunts. Which was the most di- diabolical, you know, uh, atrocious thing that perhaps our human civilization has ever gone through? You could argue that, you know, whatever World War Two and World War One were bad. If you've heard like you know Dan Carlin's you know uh, hardcore history, yes, terrible times. But we're talking about the the systematic hunting of women and children, which I can get to later because there's a fascinating piece of history there. But. Uh, Francis, in, in that, but, but that whole mission of killing women and children systematically for having everything from like potions to plants and using those as medicine. And a deep connection to nature. And a deep, deep inextricable link with nature, um, the feminine, they were, cu- they were pushing back against the church and state who had reduced us to merely this physical thing. So they were like, okay, church, we're gonna push back on that because we wanna cut into bodies. And once we can separate the spirit and the mind from the body, now we can dissect. Then we can understand the lymphatics and the cardiovascular system, etc. But that is carried forth such that we are now lamenting, as a society, what we know to be true, which is that there's more to this than just the physical body of the human being. And when you sit with an animal that's dying, you feel something different. So where is our our medical reductive explanation of that? There isn't one, which is why I find Anthroposophy so it's like an it's like optimistic for me because it's validating the thing that you felt with that animal. That's really, really important in birth and death and everything in between. But the ceremony around death, paying attention, reassuring the animal, you're gonna be okay, you're doing great. Because there's a privilege to dying for an animal, for a human, this is, Stephen Jenkinson's talked quite a bit about this. The privilege of dying, if you can honor that, if you can have reverence for that and patience and presence with dying, you start to become validated. And that optimism, I think is what we really need in a world that is devoid of optimism because everybody's lamenting, is this it? Is this it? What was that, that line from uh, the, the Green Knight? Yeah, is this, that this all there are. is? Yeah, <laughs> what, what else, what there else should, thought there be? What else there be, yeah. I mean, yeah. That's, that's it right there. That's why that was so impactful for people. That's the fucking background on my computer. I know, in the office it's in the like a hundred right? right? little There's images. hundred of those little guys. Yeah. What so, else thought there be? Yeah.
0: That it, by by the way, for people who haven't seen the Green Knight, um, it is a highly metaphorical, you know, uh, tale of a guy from from the King Arthur lineage, um, but it's done in a way where it's it's it, it could not be more apropos <laughs> for the game that we play in yeah. consciousness. This uh, you know, cosmic as, giggle. <laughs> yeah, and as Paul Paul says, you know, it's it's Maya is not the illusion it's the yes illusion yes. it's the grand illusion and it's the fucking greatest game ever created right and there's a strong sense that i got i know aubrey and Godzi did a great series on um the game of life and, and really used video game analogies to break that down but that's one of the reasons i gave up video games was a i loved them b i was spending so much time playing them but in my fight career i realized in my pie chart i wasn't good enough at fighting to play video games in between. Daniel Cormier did that all the time. He was a fucking world champion, right? Like he had a decent pedigree in wrestling (laughs) that allowed him to do that and still have fun and still be a dad. I did not. And that's where my education really began. Um, and that's where I really set aside video games. But later on in a ceremony, I realized like, oh, the reason I have distaste for it now is because it's a game within the game, mm. right? Like, and I never appreciated that. You play Grand Theft Auto or something like that. And it's like, go on this dopey side mission, the game within the game. And I'm like, fuck all that. I want to beat the game. Yeah, I want to be better at the game. I don't want to play the fucking side game, this stupid little shit in there. It doesn't mean I don't like volleyball sure. or, or pickleball or other sports and things like that. Or even just, you know, we're back into boxing and jujitsu now. Those are all games within the game but they utilize the human machine. Yeah. And that's the big difference. Right, right, right. Um, right. And I think that they're, those are games within the game that leave us more whole than when we started. Video games do not, hmm. you know? And I, I think about that, you know, like the what gr- the Green Knight is really pointing to, you know, and, in, in, uh, um, you know, spoiler alert, <laughs> what it's really pointing <laughs> to is the definition, you know, the, what what what's actually happening there when the guy... Gives himself as he, you know, he has that question. Yeah. You know, is yeah. this all there is? You what know, else ought there be? What else ought there be, right? Yeah. And it's just that
1: fucking end of the movie, you know? <laughs> you're just like, wow. What? Wow. <laughs> yeah. 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 I mean, this is really, you know Tosh and I were talking for quite, quite some time last night about the, uh, there's a lot of grief in our society. And I think part of it is that we've reduced everything to like red and blue, guns or no guns gay or straight whatever like there's just we reduce it to these simple little things that don't get at the actual thing that we're all craving which is goes beyond connection it goes it it goes into a space where we want to know ourselves so much better and these like sort of hot topics these buzzwords that are being floated around you can't really like when you're on that hunt you're not thinking about politics you're not thinking about anything you're just there you're just present how often in life are we just present with something and, you know, I, I keep bringing birth and death up because that's the two things I, I know best. And I, and I also know the least about, you know, the, it's like the more doors you open, it's like 10 more doors and you're like, all right, let's try door number two over here. And you go through there and then there's 15 more doors. You just keep going deeper. But that's actually, I think, what we are grieving in society is, you know, you're a dad when you, when you saw your little girl for the first time and she's, you know, or, or bear. I mean, you see these like, they're seeing you with different eyes. And if you consider it that a seed, has the potential to grow into literally anything. There's the ultimate potential in this seed that grows into an oak tree, you know, an acorn. We've got like a million acorns I have to rake up when I get home, because we have this giant oak tree that's got to be 100 feet tall, right behind wow. our garage. And I think every single one of these acorns has the potential to become this incredibly beautiful, magnificent tree. Well, inside of a, the womb, when the sperm and egg meet, this little embryo develops, it's two cells that has the potential to be everything. It could be anything. Your, your child could be anything that you can ever imagine way beyond your imagination. This is where that infinity point goes beyond infinity. So as you go grow through your childhood, we're watching our kids grow up. These little kids have the absolute potential. They have the infinite potential. They are sort of God embodied. And then our, our society sort of like narrows that down. We become myopic about what the goals are, what you have to get into college, you have to start a bank account, whatever and that potential becomes you know more and more constricted how many boxes can we put on you yeah, yeah yeah how many how many boxes can we put on you how many how many check marks can we give you gold stars can we give you it becomes this this sort of productivity piece and i think that we as a society are lamenting that because we've lost ritual and ceremony around everything especially the two rites of passage that are ubiquitous for all of us you may not want to go hunting you may not want to go and harvest a cow on you know out in lockhart but if you have a baby Going through this rite of passage. Can we use presence, patience, and reverence to honor this and actually start to change what's going on within in order to see external change without? As above, so below. As below, so above. This is where the work is. And I don't see a lot of that happening in our society, which is why I think we're all part of the reason. The other reason is we're not birthing through love, but I can get into that because that's another theory that I'm developing. And, um, if we could get back to that, would we would we see this lamentation, this grief that we're all experiencing? Would we start to see that fade away? And then we're actually better at this. Have you I mean the way out
0: the way out of anything is right through it, right? right. Like there's the a kids book, uh, we're going on a bear hunt. Yeah. It's going to be a beautiful day. Uh-oh, <laughs> a forest, a deep dark forest. We can't yeah. go over it. We can't go under it. Oh no, we got to go through it. Right through it. Stumble trip, stumble trip, stumble trip. This is a fucking great book. And yeah. it's highly repetitive, which kids love. Um, but that's that's the case. No matter what obstacle they come against. Oh no, we got to go through it is the medicine. Yeah. You can't go over it. You can't go under it. Can't go around it. You got to go through it. And uh, Martin Prechtel wrote The Smell of Rain and Dust. He's several, he's a phenomenal medicine man and author. And um, in The Smell of Rain on Dust, he talks about... The loss of humanity's ability to grieve and how important grief is by feeling it and going through it and honoring the grief, mm. and and there's so much to grief right now. Yeah. Um, Mark Gaffney, fucking phenomenal, yeah. phenomenal. It was a great podcast. Um, thank you, brother. Yeah, he's got so much more in the zeitgeist he's releasing right now. That's like the kitchen sink. It's akin to what Paul's doing. Yeah, Paul's about to release the kitchen sink of his knowledge, and. It'll be in a set, you know, same yeah. thing with with Gaffney. Um, but Gaffney talks about the shameplex, you know, and that could be a whole series of podcasts, but the shameplex is, is anything that caused a shame. Meaning when you show up in Eros, in allurement, in excitement, in your fullness of presence is one of the faces of Eros. It keeps reminding me every time you yeah. talk about presence, fullness of presence is one of the faces of Eros. It's one of the faces of the divine she. Um, being on the inside, which also translates to being on the inside of the face of God. yeah, like to see with God's eyes, yeah, like to experience yeah. what you're experiencing through God. These different qualities of eros are are so important when a child shows up with all of those activated and it's not met with the same level of excitement from anyone, a peer, uh, a parent, um a sibling. You know, they could be excited about fucking a rainbow, and if you're like, "Oh yeah, cool, cool, wolf, that's a rainbow," yeah, that's one of the first things that will add to the shameplex, right? I must be wrong. And the difference between shame and guilt, he talks about this, is absolutely brilliant. Um, guilt, to to a in in part, can be a beneficial thing. It's where we take ownership of something we've done in a way in which we've harmed someone else or ourselves and that guilt can be used as a catalyst for alchemy to be a better person. Shame is different. Shame isn't, I did something wrong. It's, I am wrong. I'm not, it's not, I, did, I'm, I, did so, I didn't do a good thing. I am it's, wrong, I am, wrong. Mm-hmm. I am not good. I am bad That's right. because of this act, right? And, it, and it's that fundamental difference that makes shame such a massive piece of our work alongside with grief. In, in fully unlocking our potential. You know, I had Richard Brett on the podcast and he, his vision of humanity going forward is magnificent. I love it. And I'm like, even if it's wrong, I'm attaching my consciousness to that, to yeah. fucking draw, to dispense that yeah. shit into yeah. existence. Right? Yeah. What does it take to come out on the other side of all these things crumbling, right? Ishmael talked a little bit about this, Daniel Griffith. Um, we have to have parallel systems in place that way we don't just inherit rubble. Like yeah. we can we can move and switch gears easily. We just change lanes from buying shit at Walmart to harvesting our own food, right? That can be done yeah. on a local level. That's decentralization of power and it brings, it strengthens local communities. Um, so there's many, many specific ways we get into this, but- for sure, if we're to step into a new understanding, if we're to move from shadow into the gift and mm. into the city, to mm. use to use Richard's language and gene keys, what's required of that? It's it is it is understanding the shadow. It is going through grief. It's grieving the loss of the world we thought we had, right? And that was mm. a big part of the last two years that fucked me up, where understanding I don't live in the world I was grown up to believe in. Right? When we learned, when we read the books that we, you and I have, and you've sent me quite a few on the nature of our government in particular. Oh yeah. And the history of that, that is uh, jaw dropping. You know, and what that requires is grief. It requires the five stages. It requires saying, holy shit, okay. Wow, how does this feel? It doesn't feel good. Do I need to cry? I think I need to cry. I need to fucking feel this fully and actually release and move through that. And if I avoid it or try to stuff it down or act like everything's fine when it's not okay, then I'm not, none,
1: I'm not being, I'm not moving through it. I'm trying to move around it. Right. Mm -hmm. And I think, you know, to sort of borrow from our buddy, Paul's language a little bit that, that creative force that does propel us into the dark forest, it has to be love. And I don't see a lot of love in the, in the way that you and I use the word love nowadays. Uh, I want to I go on a little diatribe about love because I actually think it's very relevant to what we're all experiencing right now. The, um, so we just had these midterm elections a couple of days ago. My mother and her husband worked at the polls. It was like a 16 hour day for them. It was, it was gnarly, you know, and they got people coming in that are yelling at them from both sides. They're all, everybody's up in arms about, you know, potential election fraud. And I mean, there's just so much just division, right? So instead of going down the path of division, what I've, what I've been very thoughtful, and this has actually been guided in some ways by our, our friend Charles Eisenstein and his work. He wrote this book, The More Beautiful World Our Hearts Know Is Possible. And that world that we're all hoping for is a world that's immersed in love. But let's consider what actually has to happen. My Probably the, the thesis of my, the rest of my career is if we, want to, if we want to see a better world, we have to start with getting just birthright. So then I had, and as I started philosophizing about this, I'm very, I'm very a right, right brain thinker, as opposed to the, my colleagues who are very left brain, which is like, do the test, answer the questions and this and that. I'm always like, well, what about this? What if we change the context a little? And they're like, can't you just answer the test? And I'm like, well, I'll give you the answer you want, but what if we go this direction? And so it doesn't get me a lot of friends in medicine, but I've actually had to start pulling my credentials into this. And like, let's actually look at what happens in love. So, There's this chemical that's produced in the paraventricular nucleus called oxytocin. Everybody knows it. It's about this big when you pull it up on Wikipedia. It's way bigger than any molecule you've seen. Serotonin, dopamine, like oxytocin is not only a hormone but it's also a neurotransmitter. And oxytocin, when you start looking into the literature is relevant for ejaculation. It's relevant for that transcendent experience through orgasm. It's relevant for conception. When oxytocin hits the uterus in birth, it causes it to contract. When it hits it during orgasm, it quivers the uterus and pulls the sperm up towards the openings of the fallopian tubes. Meaning that when you and your partner engage in intercourse and you are maybe going to have a baby, oxytocin is actually driving that process. And if you do orgasm, your likelihood of conceiving is higher. So bear that in mind, guys, when you're just like... you know two minutes pumping and you're, you know, you're on the clock or whatever, your wife's strip changed or whatever. This <laughs> yeah. is, this is, there's more to this. This is where the conscious conception piece comes in. In childbirth, a woman left undisturbed will have her knees together in prayer pose often with her eyes on the floor because you don't want to disturb her. You want to activate her neocortex and make her insecure about her body. You don't want to be questioning, do you have, you have any of these medical history things while she's contracting? Because that is going to activate her catecholamine system through her interpretation in this big, beautiful brain we have. And those catecholamines actually suppress the activity of oxytocin. Mm. So oxytocin as most people know it is what helps you release milk when you're breastfeeding and it helps to eject the fetus at the end of childbirth. We know oxytocin does this because we give synthetic versions, but that's not the love hormone. That is a synthetic perversion of this beautiful chemical that your brain makes and it courses from the pituitary into all parts of the body. So what am I getting at here? What I'm getting at is that as we see more and more babies being conceived through artificial means, you know, assisted reproductive technologies, for example, we see more babies being born after inducing labor with synthetic oxytocin. We also have babies that are being born increasingly by C-section where there's no oxytocin involved. We're dystopically removing the baby from the uterus. That's not always a bad thing. Sometimes babies need to do that in order to not become embodied with these energetic bodies. that that Steiner talks so much about. In fact, they may keep one leg in the astral, bringing angelic healing properties into the the space. These are theories I have. We also then immediately cut the cord and remove the baby from the mother after the baby's been growing inside the mother. So as these these practices start to, not to mention synthetic formula loaded with soybean oil and all that stuff that that Paul Saladino talks about, like (laughs) fucking fucking toxic shit we're giving to babies. So... When we consider a world where a, an entire generation or two, as we see these, these interventions increasing, including IVF, IUI, that's the artificial insemination pathways, C-sections, artificial induction of labor before the baby and the mom have had a, an agreement that it's time um, and not breastfeeding. Breastfeeding where the baby's gonna become chemically addicted to its mother. That's the connection. There's a love being developed that started in the womb and is now being expressed thereafter through breastfeeding. What happens when we have two or three generations down the line where only a couple babies are coming into the world in the most natural way possible? We have babies that are being born, not out of love, but in spite of this absence of love. And I think that we're starting to be confronted by those things in our society. We have a world without love and that's not the world that we're all, our hearts know is possible. So if we can't, if we wanna figure out all of this stuff in our government and whatnot and we can't get birth right, I don't I don't see us getting anywhere. I actually think we're we're running ourselves into the ground faster than we know. Yeah, that's massive. I love that 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 it you know, you look
0: to the root cause, right? Yeah. If you understand yeah. holistic yeah. medicine and, and how the body works, you wanna find the root. You don't want to do patchwork. Yeah. And that most certainly would be the starting place, you know what happened and, you know, different great thinkers have gone through this. Stanislav Grove talked about, you know, like the first Absolutely. trauma is birth. Right. And that's perinatal matrices. Exactly, yeah. brother. Exactly. Yeah. Right. So you think through that and then how, where is the work in alignment? Cause there's so many people who weren't breastfed or so many people who were C-sectioned or any of these things. Um, fairly certain. Actually, I'm not fairly certain. My mom got shot with Pitocin. I think I shot right out on my own. Yeah. The story's right. Um, but so many people get Pitocin, you know, yeah. which is like automatically forcing in hard mm. contractions mm-hmm. and really making it painful. And then you need an epidural because
1: the pain is so strong right. due to these contractions lasting way longer than they normally would and-, and uh, You don't get the endor- endorphin response that you get with natural oxytocin. So you actually are causing them pain. Maybe you're giving them the love hormone. I don't believe you yeah. are with synthetics, but yeah, you're not getting the whole package of what this birth thing is, which is not a medical procedure. Like this is a, a rite of passage. We're bringing a baby into the world. Do we want to do that in love or do we want to do that in spite of love? Have you have you heard of more people? One thing, you know, as you're, you're mentioning this, I've heard of a
0: rise in free births.
1: Yes, and, and home that, births. Yeah, yeah and home yeah. births
0: and free births. And, you know, having, I understand it's not for everyone uh, from a medical standpoint, but having had wolf in our home as opposed to bear at Stanford, the, the, the difference is so night and day. It's yeah. Like, if we ever have a third, there will, there will, we will never have a kid in a hospital again yeah. unless, unless we're rushing there. But if you've got a guy like you <laughs> uh, on scene, you don't have to rush to the now hospital. Now I'm traveling everywhere yeah. doing you can, this. You yeah. can do the damn thing right from our home. And then that would still be a more beautiful yeah. experience if we had to go a C section uh, from the house. And then you're in the comfort of your own bed. There's a cleanup crew. There's all those things. And I think um, that to me is an optimized way of covering all the bases medically, but still making sure like you have uh, expert care, and expert level of comfort. Yeah. The free birth, I was like, oh shit, you guys, you guys didn't even have, like I was talking to one of my neighbors, no evacuation plan, no no doctor called, you know, he's like, he knew an ER to go to if it got nasty. Trusting in the process. Trusting in the process, yeah. you know, and then no experience. It's not like these guys had, you know, <laughs> they didn't even have a fucking doula or a midwife. Sure. I was like, sure. wow, That's power. wow, that's yeah. next level, you know, but that and that is the initiation. And they have one of the healthiest, most awesome kids I've ever met, you know, yeah. just just a phenomenal family. Yeah.
1: You know, the, the root, so this word midwife, I'm gonna I'm, I'm gonna challenge the notion that women were always caring for women in childbirth because I don't think it was quite the way that we describe it now. The original births were really free births. The midwife, which in in in, in um, Greek obstetrics with an X actually means to stand opposed to, so the original role of a midwife, I, I presume, was that a woman, a midwife, what became to be known as a midwife, was actually standing guard so that a woman wasn't disturbed in birth. Mm. Maybe it's in a cave. Maybe it's in a space in the woods. Maybe it's in a little hut somewhere. It doesn't matter. But there was a woman on guard keeping anybody who just happened to be stumbling through away so that they didn't disturb this process because this is where that lioness is going to roar. But if we disturb it, if we activate, we're asking questions about, you know, you don't want your baby to die and all that type of stuff. That activates the catecholamines, which disrupts this process of birthing. One, one thing I think is also relevant to kind of draw back into the hunt is, are you familiar with the Epic of Gilgamesh? Uh, briefly, there was a, um,
0: there was a series that I had watched that was animated online. I'm drawing a blank on the name of it now. Christian Pity turned me on to it. That was pretty brilliant. Diving into great. the Epic of Gilgamesh. And a few other things, but it's been like two years.
1: I'll find it for you and send it to
0: you. Yeah, do it. Maybe I'll link do to it. the show notes, um, but please dive into that.
1: So like 3000 BC, ancient Sumer, which, which we now call Mesopotamia. This is like the earliest human, you know, written human history. This Epic of Gilgamesh had all sorts of incredible stories. One story that really stuck out to me and by the way, I've borrowed a lot of this language from a guy named Michel Odent, who was a general surgeon. He's 92 now. He's actually my 100th podcast episode. It's coming out in a few weeks. He's 92. He was a general surgeon in the 60s in Paris in a hospital where they had a maternity unit run by midwives. And he was the only surgeon on staff. So occasionally he'd be the guy called to do some sort of surgical heroics like C-section. And since then he's written more. I've read everything he's written. He sent me his entire box, like his entire collection signed. Wow. It's like a huge honor because he's kind of a hero to me and he's certainly a mentor. And uh, a lot of the language that I'm speaking about is comes, I'm I'm adapting his work to our modern crisis in maternity care. So I just wanted to throw that in there that anybody who, it's O-D-E-N-T, incredible. And I'll I'll send you a couple copies of his books because he has one called The Functions of the Orgasms where I was like, oh my God, a hundred pages. This guy just blew me open, you know? <laughs> so, um, and he writes as much about the, the soil health and the ecology of our oceans and whatnot as he does about birth itself, cool. you know? So the Epic of Gilgamesh had one particular story and it was about Enkidu, who was the wild man. He was this guy who was so in touch with nature that he would go out into the woods and he could communicate with the animals and the plants. The animals trusted him. And he was, was teaching them how to get out of the, escape the traps and, and outsmart the trappers. And the trappers were obviously pissed. So they went to King Gilgamesh and they said, dude, this wild man out there. And they were all afraid of Enkidu, you know? It's like burly, kind of like a, I'm like a, like I'm imagining Bigfoot, you know? Like, <laughs> but he's a man, he's just more in touch with the animals than he is with people. So King Gilgamesh is like, listen, I, I see why you're frustrated. Why don't you tempt him with a harlot? So they do. And Enkidu lays with this harlot for seven days, six nights. Probably has his mind blown. His whole world is rocked by this harlot. And, and then he goes back into the woods and now the animals are afraid of him. Mm. They're running away from this guy. And he's, he's upset. Like these are his, his peeps, his homies. <laughs> so he goes back to the harlot and he's like, he tells her what happened. And she says, Enkidu, now you are a god. And the, the, the sort of takeaway from this, it sounds very abstract, but the takeaway from this is that through the process of orgasm, which can be a transcendent state, you know, that, that image, Alex Gray's image that Jason actually had commissioned as a painting. So dope, hearing that from Jason. Connecting I was like, no to the, fucking way. what a story, right? <laughs> yeah, that guy has yeah. some great stories. This connection between Mother Earth and the cosmos is the, is the human experience. Like that is what we're here to do. And figuring that out is really our life's journey. The transcendent state through a true orgasm, that connection driven by love is what we all probably are seeking. And Enkidu experienced that for the first time, that was the connection he needed to make to God. This, this getting as close to divinity as possible, a true transcendent experience. The other thing is that only was Enkidu able to learn this and become one with God through embracing the feminine and surrendering to the feminine. And we all know the women in our lives, the women we've chosen to love and cherish and honor and revere, they have this special power over us. But then in the medical system, we treat this as like a slaughter. Like it's just check the boxes, get the job done, healthy mom, healthy baby, and we're done. Back to that lamenting process. A lot of women I think are lamenting that this is not being honored as the sacred transformation that it always has been. So they're going off into the woods and having their babies undisturbed. Mm. If I was gonna have a baby, I'd be having a free birth. And that's probably the most confronting thing an OBGYN can say.
0: (laughs) Yeah, yeah, absolutely. What else do we want to dive into? We're right now we're in, and, and I I'm, I'm, feel like we're just getting started. <laughs> I know. It looks like you got some notes over there. Well,
1: I, I had taken a couple notes because when you had asked me, hey, I want to talk a little bit about um, anthroposophy, I was yeah. like, man, that is, that's the door ex- analogy I described. It's, it's been really, really tough. The uh, optimism that I get through anthroposophy is, it's validating, but it also makes me want to be a doctor again. There's this gentleness. So for those who don't know, anthroposophic medicine uses a lot of diluted therapies. I'm not gonna call it homeopathy because that's a separate practice, but this is really a matter of trying to reinforce and support your experience and your spiritual development. And most dis-ease is really a a byproduct of these developmental processes. I think that fever is a really, really great example you know, when we see a fever, we treat the fever, bring down the fever, bring down the fever, bring down the fever. But what happens with a fever is your body gets heated up. Your molecules, molecules start to disin, you know, separate. and you start to, that, those etheric forces start to rip you apart in every single direction, just like with a dying plant, just like with a dying animal. That happens at the end. So when we talk about a fever... Sometimes fevers are functional. Sometimes fevers are, are harmful. And if you're in a chronic state of inflammation and you're always in this slightly, you're just simmering your whole day, your whole life, you're going to be reaching this, this decay point that de- the forces of decay are going to overwhelm the forces that are pulling you in every direction to your ultimate potential. Fever in children, we've seen this happen, right? The kid gets a fever. If you bring down that fever right away, you're actually inhibiting their development as a human. So anthroposophy says, how can we support a child through fever or even an adult for that matter? And that would be like, hey, the fever is going to rise and then it's going to plateau. We can get the fever there to that plateau faster. So for a child with fever, you want to heat them up, mm. get them hotter, get them to that, that, that point. Well, maybe it's a 103 fever. They feel like shit, but that's not the point. They're going to feel like shit because they are growing. They're, they're expanding. They're being pulled apart. And when that fever eventually comes down and then you can facilitate a gentle recovery using lemon compresses and things like that, as opposed to pharmaceuticals that are synthesized in some godless sexless lab somewhere, you get them back to that point and their molecules reform and they're stronger. They're, They're developed. They've jumped, they've leapt ahead. So this is one of those concepts that helps to describe this. There's a, a woman named Wapio Bartlett. She's the, the matrona. She's one of the, the wisest elders in the midwifery community. She trains wisdom keepers. She does not train midwives. And that's an important distinction. This woman, I, I just uh, met her this past year. She's one of the, my favorite new friends. And she described having had COVID a couple of times, you know, just getting some viral something over this past couple years. In the last of those three times, she had to reconcile that she's dying. She was Having that final conversation with God, in in the words again of Stephen Jenkinson, that privilege to take your entire life story and to wrap it up, and to take whatever you've learned through these initiations that come afterwards, which Steiner also describes in a book um, called the the human experience from birth from death between death and rebirth, something like that. These these little passages you go through after you've died in the in the Earth School requires you to have a state of reverence you have to be thinking about something bigger than yourself if not then your consciousness after the fact dulls mm. so the time when you're when you're starting to reach that point where you're starting to feel your molecules separating that's when the work begins where you're going to reconcile your faith your spiritual beliefs everything you've learned from me and everybody else in your life starts to be packaged up into this incredible um, it's an opportunity to carry your consciousness forward so that when you're reborn perhaps the following day, perhaps a thousand years from now, it doesn't matter because time really is irrelevant. This is the time to do that. So Wapia was going through this and she of course survived because we were talking about it, but she said, I could feel the molecules separating. She was laying there talking to herself, which is just a reflection of God, as we know. She was going through this challenge and she could feel the molecules separating, like I'm going, I'm going. And then of course, after the fever resided, she came back in and now she's writing books and she's doing all this other shit. So the, the point of this, of this story is that when we are confronted by something that seems as simple as a fever, the anthroposophist would say, well, hold on. Is this something to be treated? Is this a pathology? Or are we just helping you along on your spiritual development? And it may ultimately re- result in death. Sometimes kids die, but that's not what this is about. We treat every fever as if it's a disease. Another example I give that I've, I've been really working through is that when we develop these autoimmune conditions, which seems to be almost sort of synonymous with being American now, like everybody's got sick gut, their immune system's all out of whack, they're getting vaccines left and right that's just screwing them up further, they're eating toxic shit, glyphosates all over their food and whatnot. You're developing these autoimmune conditions. What do we do? We give you steroids and we give you synthetic immunosuppressive drugs. And we say, yeah, oh, You're fixed. Patchwork. Patchwork. (laughs) The anthroposophist would say, okay, let's think about how your life developed for the first seven years. You had that first individuation where you really just have this life force. That's why the little babies are just like, they're just alive. You know, they don't have much of the astral. They don't have much of the feeling body yet, but they're thinking, they're processing, they're absorbing. After that first individuation, they get their teeth. That second individuation layers in the astral. That's where the that's where this thinking or the feeling aspect, this feeling body comes into play. They start expressing their preferences and emotions and whatnot. Seven years after that, you're now incorporating the eye. The ego starts to develop in the adolescent period, 14 to 21. And it's not until age 28 that you're truly free. You're fully embodied. And of course the etheric is being embodied through Stangroff's perinatal matrices coming out through the vagina, that, that chrysalis that you come out of and you emerge as a butterfly. That's important work because you get embodied with, that, with the, a little bit of the astral and, and you've already been embodied with the etheric. That's why there is life in there. It's, it's life. It may be more like a plant than a, a human, but it's life nonetheless. So during these individuation processes, which actually is a, a big part of what Jason Picard is studying now through Arnie Mandel and um, this processing work, what happened during this initial 28 years that, in, that prohibited the integration of the astral to the etheric or the eye into the astral. And when you look forward at when women start to develop these autoimmune conditions, it's usually in their twenties and thirties. Mm. So something happened in, the, in, in our lack of supporting your individuation of these various spiritual bodies, these energetic bodies. So what we would do is say, okay, you have a poorly integrated eye in the case of autoimmunity. Let's support the eye using some of these very gentle remedies through phosphorus, through quartz, and they're diluted solutions, but they're not as diluted as homeopathy. They're like 20 to one kind of dilutions as opposed to a million to one. Mm -hmm. And (laughs) despite all of my skepticism and whatnot, people do so well by just supporting the eye. And and it's more complicated than just take this pill. It's a whole process of work but this is what I'm learning through anthroposopy, anthroposophy, which is why I said, this is so optimistic. Like this actually gives us something we can do as opposed to just treating you with surgery and pharmaceuticals, which is yeah. where we're at in, with medicine right now. Yeah, it's such a big one. It re- reminds me of the first time we had,
0: I don't even know if it was COVID, they, they, didn't, they hadn't named it then, but um, I did a solo cast, a new year's episode um, in 2020. It was, it, I got sick, our whole family got sick December, of uh, 2019 so it was right when things first started making their way stateside and um i've never had a cold like that in my life i talk about it on the solo cast a long time ago and sure. re- fucking refresh that i sweat so profusely each night same with bear tosh tosh got it and just kicked its ass she was pregnant with wolf so like her immune system was just like fuck off after two days and <laughs> she walked right through it i had never been that sick in my life uh in my adult life and um but i it felt ceremonial for mm. the first time and a lot of large part of that was you know reading our friend dr thomas Cowan's work and um nourishing another traditions, anthroposophist exactly yeah. reading yeah. nourishing traditions book of baby and child care which i think is a must read for anybody um who's trying to get pregnant or is pregnant or has young kids on natural remedies and like really what childhood illness is or ought to be and um as I started to apply that to myself, cause we had applied that to bear his yeah. whole childhood, you know, and he has done exceptionally well. He's never needed antibiotics. He's never needed any, he's never had a shot. He's never had any of that stuff. Yeah. Um, I think I gave him children's ibuprofen once when his fever was really high. And I was like, that doesn't feel right. Yeah. And we went back to just letting him ride it out and he, he's been better and better through every cold, you know, kids are going to get sick. That's the way they're that's, actually that's learning yeah. what he has in the yeah. environment. And yeah, that's how they yeah, grow from that. Yeah. Right. There's no growth without resistance. Right. And so when these stressors come in, acute stressors, if you allow them to pass through that, that's gonna be better. Now, for me, I had antibiotics fucking damn near every cold. Me too, Right, and that did not bode well for the microbiome. Exactly. yeah. Exactly, and so here was an opportunity as an adult for me to actually see if I can do this naturally. Yeah. And it was awesome. I had a decently high fever between 103 and 105 off and on, but it was eight days and I sweat so bad each night. You know, I'm shivering, I got blankets pulled up, over me and I'd wake up with soaked sheets. I'd literally peel the bed every single morning and wash my sheets or have Tosh wash my sheets daily for eight days. One day it was so bad that um, I shit myself in bed. It was pure liquid (laughs) and I couldn't tell because the bed was so soaked, you know? And I just looked the next day as I was getting ready to take the sheets and I saw that I had actually shit the bed and slept in it the whole night. Wow! Right, so it was that level of of my body is fucking expelling. And it was Christmas day I laid down and uh could could look through the periphery, but couldn't turn my head to watch the kids open presents. Wow That's how fucked up I was. Wow. We had a five-pound prime rib roast that I didn't have a single bite of. Oh my God. <laughs> like three days later. <laughs> I, mean, I was demolished. And and but going through that, you know, I, I never felt better. I felt I hadn't even had combo at that point And I was like, this was must be what combo is like. Yeah. It's like a uh the divine ringing out of the rag, like Mm. whatever cellular debris there is, whatever things that I need to expel and move through, I'm going to do that. And it's going to be in a hardcore way. And I wouldn't have had that knowledge without a, you know, Thomas's work and which is really Steiner's work and without ayahuasca. Like when you understand what La Perga is, when you understand that that ringing out has a benefit on every body Right, every part of your body—from a physical sense to an emotional sense to an astral sense, an etheric sense—when you're wrung out, you're cleaning all those systems at once. It's not just, oh, I have to puke; my body doesn't like this. Yeah. Or I can't stop shitting. There must—I must—must have a gut issue that doesn't yeah. vibe with ayahuasca. <laughs> no, ayahuasca is cleaning you the fuck out. Right. Right, and it's doing it on multiple levels. And I think with that firm visceral understanding, um, it allowed me to really just surrender, which ayahuasca is great at too, teaching you how to surrender. It allowed me to surrender to a sickness that I had not experienced before. Mm. And from that, I have not been sick since then, you know, it was like you go walk through, your, you know, you fucking yeah. get your ass kicked. And then after that, I'm just fucking, I'm ready to go. You know, I might get a little yeah. sniffle here and there depending on what time of year it is, but it's nothing even remotely close to that.
1: Yeah. You know, I, I have a little background in blacksmithing and no shit. Yeah. That's yeah. badass. Yeah. Like, make I've, got me like an X, bro. I've got like i <laughs> I'll make you an axe. Yeah. I, I'm still mastering fire po- pokers. Would that be a good start? <laughs> uh-huh. <laughs> so, what happens with blacksmithing is you heat up um, coke, which is impurified coal. You heat it up, but it, it burns off the impurities, and that burning off process is releasing so much energy. And that's how you heat up the metal. So, you heat up the metal, and then you bang on the metal with a hammer. These blacksmiths are strong. It's way stronger than me. I get tired and I'm like, okay, hit some more. And you have to hit it hard and fast in order to, to shape it. But while you're shaping it, there's stuff that's spraying off. And those are the impurities. And you can actually see that the metal itself changes through that process. This is what tempering steel is all about. You get the impurities out to make the steel stronger. It's no different with a fever. But if, but if instead of doing the hitting... I dipped it in water and cooled it off and then tried to hit, there's no impurities. If anything, I might yeah. break my mallet or my, my shoulder for that matter. So there's more, there's, more, there's more work to be done here. And there's not that many people who are doing anthroposophy anymore. I'm hoping to revive that. I mean, that's really, I'm so dedicated to this task, especially as it applies to these rites of passage around birth and death, which are such a mystery. There's not gonna be the right answer to a test on how to birth or death or how to care for somebody going through that process. But if we can honor these things as rites of passage, including a fever as a child, there's there's an initiation there. There's, that kid feels like they're dying, just like Wapio did. They don't have the language for it. They don't have the the ego that's saying, I have more stuff to do. They're just, well, oh, this is this is how it's going. And we need to honor that and allow that development to happen, just like you did.
0: Yeah. Yeah, I think there's there's gotta be a strong revival of... of all of Steiner's work and each of us is commissioned with the task of bringing forth one, if not multiple of those, those, those aspects. And the beauty of that is, you know, he's, he's got a hundred year track record for those that have followed it to peek at it and see if it's worked, Yeah, you know? Yeah. It's like, okay. Biodynamic farming, right? Like how's that worked out for people who have followed that in Europe and have done that year after year? oh, it's worked out. Yeah. We can scientifically validate all of it, yes. right? And yes. it doesn't make sense to the modern mind. I remember the first time when we started um, putting some of the biodynamic amendments for, I've talked about it before, but one of these would be um, you get cow poop from a uh, mama cow who is nursing, right? So she you gotta have a calf on breast, on the udder, and it's gonna make a well-formed poop, right? They're not all well-formed, but the you find the well-formed poop that tells me that she's got a good microbiome, she's getting everything she needs nutritionally, and you scoop that up with a very specific bullhorn. Mm. You pack that full of the shit, you bury it with the large side down and the point up underground. You leave it there for six months at very specific times of the year and through cosmic forces, the moon cycles, the planetary cycles that changes the substance of what's inside that Fibonacci sequenced yeah. horn. Yeah. And when you pull it out, it's no longer poop, right? It smells different, tastes different. You can taste it and, it, and it's just its own Interesting. thing, right? Yeah. Now you mix that in a certain preparation and there's about eight different really premier preparations. I think there's 13 or something like that that are involved now, just from people who have kind of expanded upon his work. But, you know, we've had uh, Jared Picard and yeah. Chervine on the podcast that yeah. have really taken a deeper dive into this than I have. I'm just getting my toes wet. But one of the things that I that I realized was with, with this amount in, in a whatever, a hundred gallon drum, you know, and you're each, you're making little buckets of it. And so you've got like a team of your friends going around. How you spread that is with the leaves of a tree, so you get a branch from a tree and you just stick it in there or wiggle it around and then just sh- just chuck it, sh- shing it out. Yeah. And I was like, the amount of substance mm. that is actually making its way to the soil and the plants that I'm doing this for must be homeopathic. It yeah. must be like yeah. the tiniest fucking amount It's so A possible. fragment
1: over there and a fragment over here. Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah, yeah. yeah. There's no, yeah. there's
0: no like, I'm, I'm, I'm thinking like this is going to be like compost, you yeah. know, when I first started sure. getting into that, like composting and, and, and in my gardening and things like that, I've, I've really seen the benefit of high-grade soil, high-grade compost, amendments. Mm-hmm. Uh, microlife is a good one. You, know, you put these pellets on top of it. They break down slowly. Uh, they're non-burning fertilizers, right, from organic material. They all work fantastic. This, I was like this is a micro of a micro dose, and yet it has impact, it has tremendous impact, mm. and a lot of these things have tremendous impact, and they have a track record yeah of tremendous impact yeah and right. that 's a really cool thing because you think of like everything we're doing you know a lot of this stuff um, i 've been focused a lot around food in um you know, since our social breakdowns the last couple of years. And we're seeing this come to a precipice in places like the Netherlands where, you know, you've got farmers going on peaceful protests, getting shot with real bullets. You have, uh, unarmed by the way, um, you have what appears to be, and, and Russell Brand has done a fantastic job of, of breaking this down. Yeah, It appears to be they've set the stage for, we want organic farming and the farmers don't. So they're just assholes, right? They don't care about the environment. They don't care about earth. Well, really in reality, what they've done is they've taken away soil amendments they've been growing with for 30 years. And they've tried to give them much higher, more expensive options to replace that with that they can't afford. And what's gonna happen is they're gonna go out of business and they're gonna bankrupt on their, on their loans and they're gonna lose their farms. And right. someone like Bill Gates is gonna fucking buy it up for pennies on the dollar. It's already doing it, yeah. Right? That's yeah. exactly what's happening. Yeah. Um, That is not a change to regenerative agriculture, you know. And having Daniel Griffith on the podcast, one of the things you think of in regenerative is how many inputs does my land require? Yeah, inputs. How many? How many? How many things do I need to bring in from someone else's farm to make my farm operational? Right. Right. And you want the least amount of inputs, the maximum amount of outputs. Right. So I'm going to gain the most. Uh, production value from the land, which actually, if it's done regeneratively, is harmonizing everything. It's, it, it leaves the whole system more whole than when it started. Yeah. Right. So it's impacting every level of the ecosystem. You're not just building soil, you're building life and habitat for species you, curr- you you didn't have when you started. Right. And it's the best life for those animals and everything else involved. You have the greatest amount of animal impact. So you know, like Daniel taught us, we're rotating cows with sheep at the same time. It's a flock and a herd. We call it a flirt and our, and our guardian dogs go with them. And the cows having bigger hooves create more impact in the soil. They create these little divots that can store water. And they're also stomping in the feces and urine from the sheep, which have a different microbiome and are also eating different things from the land that the cows won't eat. And in that combination together, which isn't a perfect combination, right? There's a million different ways sure. to do this yeah. in plant and animal husbandry. But as you do that, that begins to change the soil. It begins to create the sponge. It begins to add humus mm-hmm. back to it and make it a living thing, right? And you bring that harmony back that makes the land fireproof from, we've seen this even at my dad's place when the fires were going on Northern California, admit a lot of houses burned by his, his five acres were untouched because he's been no regenerating way. the land for fucking 20 humus years. humus doesn't burn. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> and the trees are wet, Yeah. even in Northern California, yeah. right? They've held their water. Um, Jared Picard had a similar instance. Sure. You know, he lost a decent portion of his farm, but not where he was biodynamically farming. Yeah. Um, huh. And in addition to that, you you likely can you're you're flood proof. You can store more, right? It doesn't just run off. You're not losing soil. Soil runoff's a big one. But now, when you create that sponge, you're able to hold the cataclysmic storm that comes through and actually benefit from that right? And That's really interesting. There's so much there. You Talk know, it's about all, resilience. So, yeah. It's, yeah. Its, own, it's its own side yeah. topic. And I just love bringing that in though, because um, I, th- I think, you know, there's a l- big push for regenerative agriculture and we're certainly doing that. And we are dipping our toes into biodynamics and understanding that this too has a, has a very good impact that also needs revival and it right. should be folded into the conversation right. of regenerative,
1: right? Yeah. And, and when I was, when I spoke before, I kind of misspoke. I said, not, there's not too many people you know, practicing anthroposophy. There are, they're in the biodynamic space. They're in the Waldorf education space. These practices work. We know they work. In medicine, I feel like we've just become so indoctrinated to not be able to think outside of the box of Rockefeller medicine. But if it worked in these other domains, we owe it to ourselves to try this, to make more resilient people by supporting them on this journey. Just like with the land, you're not forcing the land to grow something it's not gonna otherwise grow. You support the land and the land provides the elemental beings from underneath. And these etheric forces above that I've described, pulling the, land, the, the plants up. You're not forcing those plants to grow. They're growing out of, out of um, I, I don't wanna say obligation, but, but uh, out of reverence for the process, similar to the, to the deer walking in front of me and offering herself up to me. Yeah. This is just how it goes. One thing I wanted to add that Jared told me recently, he was on the, the hunt as well uh, recently. He said that they use the, the horns of the cow because the horns on most cows actually curve inwards and face one another to some degree, as opposed to the antlers of a, of a stag facing up to the, to the cosmos. And the horns and antlers, these, these really beautiful, very strong structures connect the animals to the cosmos, but cows are very grounded. They're, they're one of the soil. And so they're not only pressing the soil down, but they're eating and ruminating and you know, regurgitating and, and digesting further and breaking this stuff down and ultimately pooping it out. But the energy that it's getting from the ground is going up into the horns. And instead of going up to the cosmos, it's circulating back into the cow and mm-hmm. into the ground. So it's actually a churning process of the energetic forces that permit plants to grow, which you don't find with tilling and with you know, artificial fertilizers and everything else. This is applicable to every aspect of our society, these types, these principles. So I really do hope the work that you're doing, the, the, um, I mean, just going out to Lockhart and doing what you're doing is like, put your, get your feet in the ground, literally in the dirt and start moving some dirt, start working with the soil. Um, we could really fix our society <laughs> in so many ways. If we just started applying these basic principles, not only to education and childhood development, to farming our food, our food systems, But also how we care for one another in in medicine. So that's that's one way of saying I think we need to start really retuning our medical models and start caring for one another through the lens of anthroposophy. I think it does offer a lot of promise.
0: Yeah. The promise for me, you know, in in talking with with Daniel Griffith um, about these parallel systems and having them in place ahead of time. So it's not just, you know, what do we want to do with the scraps? Yeah. Is that you know, Steiner's work was laid out for us well ahead of time. If yeah. he was alive today, you'd say this guy is way the fuck ahead of his time. Oh yeah. Way the yeah. fuck ahead of his time yeah. right now in 2022, 2023. He's he's that, right? But he was that a hundred years ago. A hundred years ago. And so those gifts are still available to us. And those are in many ways the parallel systems. And and it doesn't mean we can't take and expand upon that. Many of his students have. And I think, a, a you know, a part of that conversation is, what Everyone's doing in this regenerative space that's working so well, yeah. you know. Fred Prevenza was just on uh, Paul Check's podcast and was phenomenal, yeah. That's great, he wrote n- you know. Author uh, of Nourishment and a couple others, you know. Daniel and a number of people were like, You have to read this book. Um, you know, the, I haven't
1: read the book, I have to get it. <laughs> I was
0: like, I have it on my desk. I was like, All right, it's next now, yeah. And um, thankfully, Paul, I asked Paul and he introduced me to him, so I can't wait to have him on the podcast, but I'm gonna read his whole book first, yeah, yeah. you know. And um, I just think like, you know, you have. So many, so many people that were the oddballs, you know, in their field. And and really that's what Gaffney's looked for. When he yeah. talks about his think tank, it's not just people that know their field inside and out, it's people who have been pushing the boundaries of yeah. what's possible yeah. within said field. Yeah. Right? Yeah. And that's what Gaffney is, you know, yeah. as a Kabbalistic uh, Jewish mystic, he's fucking pushed the envelope of the reinterpretation and knows Aramaic inside and out. He knows ancient Hebrew inside and out. And he's <laughs> rediscovering, allowing, you he know- He
1: he had a master's <laughs> in mysticism. Like who does that? <laughs> yeah, He's
0: just a brilliant guy. From Oxford, I he, think. He surrounded himself with people like that. Yeah. I think that's the great, the great forming of Voltron is finding these people because they already exist. Yeah. They already have yeah. been existing. And a lot of them are like Fred Prevenza. He's- He's, uh, he's not a geezer, but he's an old elder. He's a wise fucking elder. And I think when we can start to piggyback from these people, and even you know a young Daniel Griffith, who's done that already at 30 fucking years old, Absolutely. is a damn wizard, right? So like being able to draw from these people and start to form... Um, this, this, these will be the practices that create the more beautiful world our hearts know as possible. There's yeah, I, no doubt about it.
1: I think that that means, that's, that sounds to me so much more optimistic than trying to change the 60 to 70 year olds who are ahead of the three letter organizations and whatnot. Like we're not gonna change them, that's okay. Let them keep doing them. There are plenty of us that are willing to look outside the box and to validate those feelings. Again, it goes back to the grief that we're all feeling about our society. We don't have to grieve this. There are people out there that are doing this work. We need to actually start working together, instead of being siloed off as ecology and education and medicine. It's all right there. We just need to start stirring the pot and and becoming a little bit more cohesive in how this good work is being done. Unfortunately, in the United States, you know, Daniel Griffiths out in Virginia, I'm in Kentucky. You're here in Austin. I mean, these people are scattered everywhere. But as we start to build these these societies and supporting one another in pushing the edge, call it fringe. I don't care. I'm I'm like. I carry these two little duck feet around with me because people are calling me a quack. And I'm like, oh, quack, quack, <laughs> quack, you know, baby.
0: <laughs> I like that. Did you get a duck like, tattooed
1: on your own? <laughs> yeah, right. That might be my new chest piece. It's just a giant mallard. mallard. <laughs> um, call me a quack. That's fine. I know that this is working. I know that my clients are getting better. I know that they're having powerful, transcendent experiences from conception all the way through postpartum. I know that their death, if there is a good death, I know that having been fired for taking off my mask, that that guy went out with love and dignity and he was inspired at the end of his life. There are people doing this work and that you, you interview every one of them, which I think is why your podcast is so great and why it's an honor for me to be invited back, honestly. Yeah, brother. Yeah, yeah.
0: Thank you, brother. Is there anything else we want to cover? We've hit that hour and a half mark. Man. we've fucking
1: done a lot. We, you and I, you know, we can like, we can riff for hours. So we'll just save it for the next one. <laughs>
0: Beautiful, brother. Wow. Where can people find you and your podcast? We'll link to everything in the show notes for you.
1: Beloved Holistics is my practice. I, I have had to really start to put some boundaries on how many one-on-one clients I have, but I still have packages. I do one-on-one consultations. I'm releasing the Presence, Reverence, and Patience Fertility Program, what came to me in ceremony. Which is a it's a premium package where you're going to meet with a whole variety of practitioners from Chinese medicine to um, Emily the medium, a psychic who communicates with the spirits of babies, to an NLP practitioner, yogi. We're going to do the whole thing so that we can get you to, if not conceive naturally, when you go to IVF, your soil is laid down in the most most healthy way, so you're not popping, you know, a bunch of synthetic hormones and then paying the bill multiple times for failed IVF or whatever. So. That program's coming out soon. I've got a program with Czech coming out, the Czech Institute, that's an integrative approach to fertility using the Czech system. It's fucking amazing. The, the book is like 200, the manual is like 250 pages. It's, it's, it's loaded. Um, and then I've got a childbirth education coming out with the help of Sarah Rosser, who's one of the farm midwives on May's Legacy in Tennessee. She's left the farm and we're now working together to build a better birth model. And so all of that will be available in the coming months. Um, Instagram, You know, all that stuff, you can find me there. And then, of course, the podcast, the Holistic OBJN Podcast. And your wife is coming up in two weeks talking about eating disorders and and ceremony and and a lot of other great stuff. So thanks again, brother. Yeah, I love you, brother.